Hello everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Gossip, a podcast series where we discuss and try to better understand alternative perspectives on issues. The podcast series is part of Chris Network's ongoing efforts to create a safer space for discourse on gender inequality issues and human rights. My name is Angela Kugadas and I'll be your host for today. Our topic today is on equal right to citizenry. We may all be Malaysians, but do we enjoy the same privileges and benefits as citizens? To help us unpack this question, our guest speakers, Numan Afifi, founder of Jajaka, and Larissa N. Lewis, partner and head of pro bono unit of Azri, Lee, Sui Singh and Co, advocates and solicitors. Welcome, Numan and Larissa. Thank Hi, you. Angela. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thank you for being here. So, our identity cards and Malaysian passports tell us that we are Malaysian citizens, but citizenship in Malaysia appears to be merely a status, uh, a nationality. Of course, it's a valuable status because it assigns us this nationality. But we've heard Malaysians describe themselves as second-class citizens, and this even includes descriptions like second-class Bumiputra. The reality is that many of us feel like second-class, third-class citizens because we don't enjoy equality before the law. And this is because of existing discriminatory laws and practices or arbitrary application of existing laws. So I want to ask you, Larissa, can you help us understand what exactly does it mean to be a citizen of a country other than merely having this nationality? What should the relationship be like between citizens of this country and the government? Yeah, thanks Angela. I think that's a very good question because many times we take for granted what a citizenship or nationality is, right? Coming from a background of uh, suing the government on cases where people don't have citizenship when they actually have that right to citizenship. So we can see the lack there in terms of, for example, just look at your IC, right? Mm. What do you use your IC for? You use your IC to open bank accounts, to get a driving license, to go to school, education, bank loans, opening bank accounts, you know. So these are obviously the rights that you gain as a citizen of a country. And without that right, you basically don't live as a human, I would say, because these are basic human rights to actually have access to this kind of uh, uh, services in a country as a citizen of that said country. Yeah. Mm. Is it merely then just a social contract between the state and the peoples in this country? Because you talked about, okay, the services, right? Like uh, having access to bank accounts, getting loans, um, education, healthcare. Uh, but what about like uh, participation, right? Participation in a democracy. Mm. Uh, participation in terms of uh, uh, not just voting, but maybe even becoming the next prime minister, you know, whether you're a woman, whether you're LGBTIQ person, right. you know, or whether you just migrated. Mm. So what is that like? It's very interesting that you ask this question because I'd like to ask the question, a question back to the listeners, actually. When you go overseas, right, and you're introducing yourself, are you proud to say you're a Malaysian? Like, yeah, I'm a Malaysian. And when you are proud to say that, I believe you tie yourself more than the services, i.e. you tie it to, yeah, I vote for this person or this uh, my member of parliament because I believe in them and I have that right as a citizen to have a say in who I want in my constituency, for example. So I think 
um, it is definitely more than just the services and it should be more because at the end of the day, people out there are fighting to be citizens of a country, to be known aside from the services, but to actually have a record of existence, for lack of a better word, you know, because that is what they don't have. And existence comes back to the question of what you value in your existence. Are you just going to exist for these services or are you going to exist because you want to make impact in that country? So yeah, I would say uh, as citizens, we should be involved in the democracy uh, for example, the voting rights. I think that's very important because that recently has been abandoned to lower the age. Mm. And uh, it's that something like, I can just ask back the question now, have you registered to be a voter? Because that goes back to the value that you see as a Malaysian and contributing to the society. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point, the existence, right? Because you can exist, but then... Is that existence also recognized? Correct. Right? Exactly. So I just want to go to mm. Numan right now because uh, many people will retort and say that there is no discrimination against LGBTIQ persons, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some go to the extent that there's a denial of existence, no? Uh, or they would wish that LGBTIQ persons don't exist, right? Um, there have been people who said, well, there's no problem, you know, LGBTIQ people go to school, go to universities even, get to work, earn an income, uh, they, don't, they, they are not sort of discriminated against, but as long as they follow certain rules, right, in terms of dressing, in terms of even hair length, etc., forms of expression, are there really no issues to enjoying these privileges and benefits as citizens of Malaysia? Yeah, while it may seem on the surface that LGBTI individuals in Malaysia may have or perceived to have equal rights um, to education, to housing, you know, all aspects of life, there's still many underlying issues that, you know, hinders this community ability to access or to enjoy fully or all these um, privileges, you know, because discrimination, prejudice, it manifests in many ways, as many forms of discrimination, um, and some of it are more subtle than, than others, you know. Um, there are stereotypes, um, you know, there's isolation, um, and there's structural barriers. Um, we talk, you know, when, what, what we mean by structural means um, legal, um, there's criminalization that happen, mm. that prohibits LGBT community from accessing um, those rights. I, I give you an example. Um, uh, we mentioned earlier in the discussion that um, you know trans people or LGBTI people in general can vote, but when you go to the voting stations, right, um, people would shout or say out loud their date names, um, and that will prohibits. Um, members of the public who are LGBT from you know, exercising their rights to vote. Um, recently, this form of prejudice are more ex um, uh, explicit. I mean, there's call for access to PrEP treatment um, to be uh, excluded for LGBTI people. They, they are mm. pressure groups right now, pressuring Ministry of Health to exclude um, the minister from, from exclude hospitals from give, dispersing all these uh, medications. So um, we have at Jayaka we have cases where um, young LGBTI person who 
losses, lost their scholarship and their place in universities because they are openly gay or they found out that they are, um, you know, in relationship with um, in same-sex relationships. So these these are examples uh, where um, people might may not um, believe or see it, but I think because members of the public are not listening hard enough when LGBTI community are speaking out. Um, that's why there's this perceived um, or misunderstanding that LGBT people don't, don't you know, uh, have equal treatment in, in Malaysia. Mm. Thanks for that, Noman. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to Larissa because uh, what Noman talked about you know, the denial of uh, right to education, right? Or just because of their form of expression. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it does suggest a government or a state that uh, has a larger interest in terms of public morality rather than public well-being, right? Public health, public well-being, well-being of the citizens uh, so that they can actually contribute to Malaysia and be proud as Malaysians as what you had earlier stated. Um, so in terms of this constitutional guarantee, right, we have equality before the law, Article 8.1, which states all persons are equal before the law and entitled to the equal protection of the law. So no man referred to like how there are structural barriers, especially from a legal um, aspect, uh, criminalization, you know, clear criminalization, sometimes it's through policies as well, right, clearly. Uh, universities mm -hmm. have certain policies in terms of, uh, and I think uh, even schools, they have policies in terms of uh, the length of the hair, you know, mannerisms, etc. So can we actually use this constitutional guarantee mm. for LGBTIQ persons or even others? Yeah, um, I think that's a very good question because uh, in Malaysia, our fundamental liberties are governed in the federal constitution. We don't have a human rights act, for example, like in UK, they have an act on its own. So when it comes to issues like this, any human rights issue, to challenge that article, whether it is in practice, we bring the case to court. And it's uh, like what Numan just had said, you know, it's very enlightening to me as well because I don't know of these issues. So when we speak about things like this, I think it makes us more... Uh, aware of the situation and what we can do better or more. So for example, I think your last episode was on citizenship, uh, the citizenship issue of children born overseas, right? Mm. So that was a clear-cut situation of inequality of gender, right? Because a Malaysian father who has a child who was born overseas would be able to confer that citizenship right away, whereas a Malaysian mother cannot. You have to go through the registration process. So what happened is uh, action was brought to court and Article 8 was, of course, quoted in terms of equality. And, of course, we have seen success through that, through that case, though it went through the next stage of Court of Appeal and whatnot. But the Parliament saw the pressure uh, from the case and then decided to take it a step further for the amendment of the federal constitution, which requires two-third majority, which is now the next step of pressure, whether we will get that two-third majority to actually amend that constitution. Mm. So at the end of the day, yes, there is going to be inequality everywhere we go, whether we see it or whether we like it or not. But what we do about it is where we make the change. So like if, if, if the issue is on a polit uh, policy within the school or education, because I also know when I spoke about... Uh, 
access to justice for this community. When it comes to HIV, for example, for a job application, if you have HIV and you fail that medical test, you cannot you can't actually get through that job application. Mm. So how what do you do about that? Of course, that is a clear, blatant inequality, right? So you challenge the system. You would probably file a judicial review on that. Uh, no, if it's a government, uh, uh, if it's like an education or something that's government linked, right? So you can do a judicial review on it and quote the equality uh, provisions and fight through that. Whether you win or you don't win, I think it's a different story. But what you definitely get with human rights cases is the awareness and the public uh, interest point. And in the legal world, we call this strategic litigation. Yeah. So Numan, going back to what Larissa has said, right? She, because she talked about strategic litigation and um, the need to fight back. Yeah, especially when you face discrimination. Tell us what the LGBTIQ people have done in order to claim this equal right to citizenry because uh, we, we are aware of a few cases. But do share with us. Yeah, um, there are many efforts that have been undertaken by LGBTI civil society organisations um, to claim their rights, um, to say out loud that they are citizens, they are part of... Um, the public and we have a we have a stake here to live as equal. Uh, I think the more re recent success or the earlier success um, is the transgender case um, in the Greece Milan, where the Court of Appeal, you know, said that um, although Islam is um, religion of the state, um, but there's still constitutional limits um, to it. Although it has been overturned in, in federal court um, on technicalities, um, but it has inspired other similar um, efforts within the LGBT community um, to claim their right as well. Another example is the recent um, case in Selangor, which is the Ikiputra versus um, Kerajaan Negeri Selangor. Um, it was a landmark decision on 21st of February 2021, where um, the federal court has declared that Section 26 of the Selangor Sharia Offences uh, Enactment, which criminalises um, same-sex um, relation as null and void. Um, so this is a result of community action, you know, collective action um, by community that are affected by this criminalisation. Um, even though there's a lot of challenges that they may face, um, you know. There were, for example, there, there were 13 people that were prosecuted under this um, enactment. Um, some of them were kicked out by their family, were chased out from their home, almost lost employment, but still, because of um, community um, supporting each other, uh, they, they wanted um, to challenge it. And because of that, today, the Selangor state government couldn't practice that law and that makes it safer. Of course, there's still the issue of um, penal code, which I feel is the next um, stage um, where community can take action. But there's also other um, areas, um, I think, which um, affects us more um, deeply, which is protection when it comes to uh, employment. Um, as it is now, LGBTI people, if they fired because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. There's, no, there's still no legal protection mm. um, in that. Um, um, so these, but I think the cases that we have heard um, will inspire community to 
um, start new strategic litigation or even go to legislative chambers and um, see if we can make sure that all these enactments that um, legislative chambers have enacted, whether they are constitutional or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, that's really quite concerning, right? Uh, when someone loses a job just because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, and then they have no recourse in terms of uh, seeking redress through the law. So I want to just go back to you, Larissa, you know, because you said fight, right? Fight mm. the discrimination. Mm. Uh, but if there's no legal premise on which people can stand on in order to claim that human right or that deny or, or that um, to seek redress in terms of the violations that they face, then how do they go about it? Yeah, so when it comes to uh, issues like, like employment, right, there is, actually I would say there is a redress. It's just the way we uh, couch the arguments and how to uh, interrelate certain rights together. So I think sometimes when it comes to human rights, right, everyone thinks of one issue as per issue. Mm. But when we argue, we argue it very interchangeable. For example, that right can be equated to right to life, Article 5, because right to livelihood includes right to work, you know, because that's a form of a basic human right. Access to justice, access to healthcare, access to employment, these are very basic things that every human should be allowed to have that. So if you are able to couch your arguments that way, there is a redress. But I understand also because when we do strategic litigations, right, we are also crafting the arguments and the way uh, we... we uh, for example, say what we want specifically, it has to not only impact one person, like I mentioned previously, it must be an impact that can impact the community at large. So it's mm -hmm. not a case-by-case -case basis. Positive impact. Correct. And mm. to find someone mm. or a few people who are willing to do that, mm -hmm. it's very hard. Because we are not just changing your case, we are changing a community's case. So that is also that hurdle, right? To actually find that person who's willing to be that plaintiff because there will be backlash. You might not win the case, for example, like that uh, federal court case, right? It went all yeah. the way up, but you didn't win. But did we get awareness? Yes. Did we get to go through the issues of what is going on in our country and speak more about it? Yes. But that takes time, I think, to build that courage and bravery to bring cases to court, uh, to file strategic litigation cases. Lah. So it's easier said than done, I must agree. Lah. Even we as lawyers, when we sit down with clients, for example, the citizenship cases, if I'm challenging a new article on its own, I'm really sitting down with a client to say, we can deal with this case only for you, can, not a problem. But can I take it one step further if we do it for everyone else in the same scenario? Mm. There is no right or wrong answer. It's up to you, but I'm giving you the two options. If you want to do it for your own, fine. But if you want to take it one step further, let's do it. We will journey with you through this. Yeah, mm. yeah that, that's a great response, uh, Larissa. I, I do agree. The case, like the Negri Simlang case, mm. was, was a landmark case, even though... Uh, they didn't win Correct, right? yeah. at federal level. But I do want to ask you also, in terms of defending human rights, mm. uh, especially for those who are not as equally empowered, no? mm. because age also counts, right? Correct. So if they're not adults yet, and, then, and there are a lot of LGBTIQ students who face severe discrimination in schools, 
And because of the stigma and discrimination, they actually denied the right to education. They're not mm. allowed to focus on the education. And education is such a huge stepping stone towards employment, mm. towards uh, securing that livelihood, Correct. towards securing that right to life. Uh, and uh, you know what you said also reminded me about, you know, how to look at this more holistically and mm. intersectional way, mm. right? So what can someone of that level, right? Because Numan and his colleagues, you know, and mm. peers are adults. But what about the children? What about the yep. students who are then also subjected to the fear and discrimination of their families? No? Yep. Parents are worried about being shamed, right? Which comes from external people, no? Mm. It doesn't actually come from their children. So yeah. what can children do? Uh, is there any protection under the Child Act, for example? Is there any protection under the uh, Sexual Offences Against Children mm. Act? I think for children, I, 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 I must agree, it's hard for them because at the end of the day, decision-making and all of that, it's not up to them. So I would say that this generation now, the young, the younger ones now, their access to internet is very, very immediate. Mm. Any information, you just go on TikTok, you know what's going on. Even I'm not on TikTok, I feel a bit left out, you know. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not on TikTok either. <laughs> that only shows that we are so old, but it's okay. But good guys, keep going on TikTok <laughs> for good, okay? Yeah. Like, I mean, just to sidetrack a bit, the whole issue on one of the students who had that sexual remark from the teacher came out of a TikTok video. Mm. So I would urge uh, uh, the children, if they are going through these kind of situations, to firstly talk to someone so they understand that whatever they are going through, whether it's right or wrong, I think there will be an issue in your mind to think like, wait, maybe this is normal if someone is doing this to me. It could be normal because I don't know. Mm. Or if it's not normal, then this is not right and I should do something about it. So speaking to someone about it, I think that is very, very important. And uh, the second layer to it would be like you and I, like for the organization that I have, Hakita as well, right? I always tell my group that there's only one purpose we have is to impact one life. I don't care about impacting 100, 200, 300. As long as one life knows something that they don't know yesterday, they know today, we have done our job. So the two layer to that after that is if it's not empowering you on your own issues, is empowering you to stand for someone else because they might not know what they are going through. So if you are empowered and you know what to do, very easily you can know that person is being discriminated. I need to help that person and help redress with them. And I think that is how we can step in for children. They don't know what is right or wrong most of the time, not to say that they don't know it all the time. So having that awareness and having someone to journey with them and not... Uh, being like a naysayer when they complain is just to listen and know what to do with them so that they don't feel alone. I think that's important, yeah. I love that point, Larissa. Yeah. But I want to come back to Numan because I know in terms of uh, the Sharia criminal offences, they're also trying to sort of, it sort of moves against the spirit of what you're saying, mm. Larissa, right? Where non-Muslims, if they uh, stand together with mm. Uh, Muslim Malaysians against such discrimination, especially for LGBTIQ persons, they are now going to be sort of, I mean, there's a push to sort of say like, this is none of your business, mm. even though you're a fellow Malaysian, right? So Numan, how, uh, how do the LGBTIQ people see this? Is this something that, uh, is there a chance to fight against a move like that, you know, where you sort of 
create disunity among Malaysians, where it goes just against the whole spirit of being equal before the law. So we are seeing a trend now when um, the public have conversation surrounding LGBTI rights, they always couch it under religion. So if you ask ministers certain issues regarding the community, then or it's a matter under Jakim, and then they're going to say what their efforts are. Um, where the reality is, you know, when we talk about LGBTI issues, it's about housing, it's about education, it's about healthcare. So I think the public's when we when we talk about LGBTI rights, um, it must go beyond merely having access to certain privileges. You know, what does true equality is? Um, and what true equality means is all individuals can live without fear of discrimination and prejudice or violence and can fully express themselves, their true identity, without being pressured to to conform to social and societal norms, right? So, for example, trans people, every day, when they want to leave the house, they have to think about how they dress. You know, it's always that fear of going on the street and, and being judged or having to face violence. So that's something that LGBTI people struggle every day. Going to work, for example, do they have to conform to what their companies instruct them to wear and to match their gender markers on IC. So that's kind of um, expectation, that kind of pressure will um, impact everyone, all citizens, their ability to live, you know, to enjoy um, their, their livelihood. Um, so that what I feel the public must understand. Um, when we say true equalities, uh, when we say when we when we talk about being a citizen in this country, so I think in order to get there, first step is to recognize these challenges, to admit and to acknowledge this is happening, and to listen um, to the community, um, because what the LGBTI people are asking for are not special rights, just fundamental liberties, you know, fundamental human rights that should be enjoyed by everyone, really, regardless what, what their sexual orientation are, what their gender identities are, how they express themselves. So that's the fundamental uh, issues that we're talking now. Completely yeah. agree with that, Numan. Thanks for that. So, Larissa, how do we move forward, right? Because this is such a... I mean, for me, it's actually a very clear, clear cut, like, this is what you need to do, right? But for a lot of people, it's murky, it's complicated. Mm. Uh, if, you, if we just see it as in terms of well-being of citizens, that they have to enjoy full equality, you know, to fully enjoy that right to life. You cannot have people being denied education. Mm. We cannot have people being denied healthcare. We cannot have people being violated just for their dressing or mannerisms, no? I mean, we have bu bullying cases as well in schools. Yeah. So how do we move forward? Yeah, I think because like 
just a question before, you know, you said it's, there's a lot of interlink with religion. Because of that, people think this issue is a very sensitive issue. So people don't talk about it or they shy away from the topic. So I think the first step is to have safe spaces to be able to know what the reality of the situation is. I mean, every day we learn something new about a community, you know, and to actually have that awareness and knowing what you can do as a citizen who enjoys these rights, how you can help journey alongside them. But of course, even with that said, you you must be careful not to put your wanting to help on someone who maybe doesn't want to be helped. Meaning, you, you get what I mean? Like yeah, that. You, don't, you don't force you, yourself on this. Correct. Don't take it on like, oh, it's on me that I have to help. But No, no saviour complex, la, correct. basically. Yeah. You have to ask them, so is it okay? If I, like, how can I help mm. you in this to push whatever you are feeling? Is it me demanding you to, sorry, <laughs> like going alongside you to the police station if you want to make a police report? Yeah. You know, these are basic access to justice you know if you have been violated you must be able to make a police report and some I know some issues where even police reports are not being taken just because of you know uh, the, the community or whatnot. so I think these are issues that we need to talk about and like I always say in every everything that I speak about is kindness la. I think everyone needs to empower kindness with the people around them and don't be so quick to uh, judge or to say or to do things or make assumptions because I think kindness can really go a long way and that can come in many, many forms. Sometimes we think it has to be big gestures or acts but it can be as simple as being there with someone and just listening. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Larissa. So, Numan, last words because, um, yeah, we talk about a lot of neg negative sort of impacts, right? But we know also out there... In Malaysia, we have parents and siblings who actually care about the LGBTIQ children, who actually care about the LGBTIQ brothers and sisters, right? So, what do you want the public to understand, you know, that in terms of this struggle, or how do we stand in solidarity with each other? I think the first step is to, what Larissa said, is to provide that safe space not just for LGBTI people, but also um, every community, um, like you said, parents of LGBTI um, people. To have safe spaces to, to, for them yeah, as well? For, for yeah, them to have um, conversations, um, not just in private, but also publicly as well. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I've been invited to speak in Astrawani and to talk about our issues, but then after a couple of hours, the media cancel the mm. show, so we can't even have conversation. That's a shame. Yeah, um, whereas um, people who are anti-LGBT have all the spaces that they want in television, in media, to speak about it with no LGBTI people um, present. So nothing about us, um, you know, without us. That's that's a principle that we want to highlight here. So all conversation, all spaces must um, include us. Because if we're not on the table, then we are definitely on the menu. Um, so, uh, that's, wow, that's a very nice yeah. saying. I like that. Yeah, so um, I think this is the first step. And um, what happens next, you know, which um, law, which policy that we want to address can only after can only happen after we have that um, conversation um, 
it's really disheartening to say that um, the conversation that we have right now is to get to that starting point, not even um, you know, dismantling all these um, systemic barriers that we, we mentioned. Um, but it is right. This is, um, I think, having this conversation on podcast definitely help us to get there. So thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Numan and Larissa, for, for those uh, thoughts, for the points that you made. I think, uh, yes, you know, we, we, we rely on the law, but I think the points that came across really, really clearly is, you know, the need for discourse, the need mm -hmm. for safer spaces, the need to listen yep. and to stand in solidarity as, as equal citizens, right? And also to ensure that equality is enjoyed. So thank you again very much uh, to Numan Afifi, founder of Jajaka and Larissa N. Lewis, partner and head of Pro Bono Unit of Azri, Lee Sui Seng & Co, advocates and solicitors. If you enjoyed listening to Gossip, do follow us and stay tuned for our next episode, Gendered Disinformation, a weapon against women's political participation. You can find Chris Network on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Remember, Gossip is where alternative perspectives make sense. <laughs>